Hello there, and welcome to Epilogue 1 of Tales from a Cult Insider. I remain your insider and former unwilling cultist, Jared Garrett. I'm here to tell you a couple more stories. This episode is called Epilogue 1, My Mission to Brazil. Maybe I should call it Bonus Episode, I don't know. Did you miss me, guys? I wonder. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Who knows? Uh, it's been quite a, quite a time since the last episode was recorded. I'm actually recording this from my uh, office that has uh, remained during this crazy apocalypse. Of course, it's not really the apocalypse. Uh, but yeah, the coronavirus uh, pandemic is sweeping the world. And uh, here we are. Um, I'm going to share this story, the stories of my mission to Brazil, partly because I was planning to all along, but also partly because the timing is good. My oldest son left on a mission to Japan. Um, after he went to mission and language training in the end of July of last year and then was in Japan as of October 1st of last year. But he's on a plane right now coming home, uh, not to have his mission be over, but to have an intermission to his mission. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Anyway, um, all missionaries who are abroad, it looks like are coming home uh, to do some uh, home quarantine for 14 days to make sure they're healthy. And then uh, to be probably reassigned for either the remainder of their mission or for part of the remainder of their mission. Um, so we'll see what, how it goes. Uh, we're, we're delighted that we get to see him. That's such a rare thing uh, to actually physically be able to see your, your missionary before his mission's over, his or her mission's over. But, you know, the, the, the circumstances aren't ideal, of course, because of the, this COVID thingamajig, right? Now, I will say that I'm one of the early users of COVID-19. Oh, I swear, you know, I'm not going to, I wrote kind of the whole song almost. Um, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be morbid or out of turn. Anyway, so here we are. Uh, it's, it's the coronavirus time. Hopefully I've got some new listeners out there listening to my podcast because they've got new time or more time than usual. But, but the thing is, I believe that's almost a fantasy for many people, especially for most people with families, you know, um, thinking about it, the, the, all these people saying, oh, this, with all this extra free time you've got, who's got extra free time? Granted, I don't have to drive back and forth to get kids to where they need to go, but I still have a day job to do. Uh, and so in the gaps of time where I would be driving otherwise, I'm checking on the kids and making sure that all's well, making sure they're eating right, making sure they're doing their schoolwork. Now, I'm, we are blessed. Our kids are doing great when it comes to their schoolwork. Really good attitudes overall. We've had to do some corrective stuff around getting up at a reasonable time. That's, that's the, there's a bit of a tendency right now to treat it like just a full-on vacation. But that's partly because of us. You know, we're not, we're not tense about this at all. Uh, we're just getting it done. And uh, my wife, Anne-Marie, she's doing her, her studies from law school here at home. And so lots of things have been corona canceled. Uh, what, boy, lots of things. And I know you've experienced them too. Uh, our seniors, high school graduation, uh, ceremony, um, my wife's law school convocation and commencement and all that stuff has been canceled. A bunch of, um, other events, banquets and things like that have been canceled. And so it's a hard time and I know we're all going through it. So let me tell you some stories that hopefully will lift your spirits. Uh, by now you shouldn't need a recap recap, but I'm going to do one anyway. It'll take 30 seconds or so. As you know, I was born and raised in a cult that uh, started out in the 60s as an offshoot of Scientology. It was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and they lived as a commune, up to 80 or 90 people total over its years. Uh, well, total at one time, 
Um, I probably had up to 150 or 200 people filtering it out uh, during my lifetime and quite a few more before I was born because of its uh, even more nomadic nature and of uh, because of the, the coffee houses that they would do and stuff like that. Any case, so uh, I was born. The cult broke apart about that same month into two. It kind of schismed into two, one called the Process um, Church of the Final Judgment and one called the Foundation Faith of the New Millennium, still both communes. Uh, the Foundation Faith is the one I was stuck in with my uh, mother, who didn't raise me, but spent my first, I guess, two or three years being primarily in charge of me. And my father, who I found out who, who he was when I was eight, and nine, eight or nine, it's finally morphed into Best Friends Animal Sanctuary or Society. It's not, it's not a cult anymore. Anyway, I just want to tell you a few more stories, but I'm not going to tell you stories about growing up in it, although I will call back to, I expect I will call back to some of my experiences in the cult as I go through my mission stories. Um, I'm not going to tell you all the whole mission stories. I'm just going to tell you a few highlights, interesting factoids and stuff like that. Now I started this podcast as a way to tell stories that I felt like I needed to tell stories that I'd been biting down on for most of my life. Um, and to tell it start to finish as much as I could, even though it wasn't linear, as you know, if you've made it this far, um, but as always, you know, your questions will be answered. You can email me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. That's J-A-R-E-D at J-A-R-E-D-G-A-R-R-E-T-T.com. With any comments or questions, I uh, can't do any speaking engagements right now. <laughs> Nobody is, but you're welcome to reach out to me. I do uh, motivational uh, talks and stuff like that. I've had all my events essentially canceled so far this year, except for maybe my first one. So let's get to it. Um, this is about my mission to Brazil. Now, let me give you the quick lead up to how that works. So uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, often called the Mormons, although that's kind of more frowned on these days, um, are given the opportunity as young men and young women to go serve missions. Um, there is certainly a more cultural, um, a, a stronger cultural imperative for boys to go, but girls are going a ton too. Um, and I wish that there were an equal cultural imperative for both because, boy, uh, everybody brings a great amount to the table and everybody's voices need to be heard. Um, and the voice of the Lord can often be heard through the voice of others. And now um, I have to be very clear. I'm talking about my mission. I'm talking about sacred and special experiences and some fun experiences too. So if you don't like the religious stuff, uh, maybe this episode isn't for you, but you could feel free to listen and laugh with me at a couple of the fun experiences as well. And also listen as I talked a little bit about how the cult uh, influenced my mission. So, um, you know, I got out of the cult when I was 17. And you know, I was an atheist. I've talked about that. You know, I had some experiences in um, joining the uh, LDS church a little bit. Uh, I didn't really get into, you know... A lot of that story, I don't really need to, I don't think. But suffice to say, one time that missionaries tried to come out or, you know, were trying to teach my roommate and I, it kind of stuck eventually, even though I didn't want it to and I wasn't interested in it sticking. Something happened and I began to believe in God and moved on from there. I joined the church uh, in 2000, or 2000, yeah, yeah, 1992, um, about eight months, seven or eight months after graduating about seven months after graduating, and um, was immediately warmly and wonderfully welcomed into the organization. The congregation was called a ward. Uh, it still is. That's what uh, congregations are called in, in the LDS church. Um, just really wonderful women and men who just 
gave me a home essentially uh an emotional home a, a physical home and you know for sundays uh a spiritual home that i'd never really had uh, gave me something stable um and that um became deeply and immediately very important to me um church was still a little boring um and i didn't believe all the doctrine yet i didn't even know all the doctrine i didn't know what i didn't know or believe at the time and was still working on figuring out if I did believe the doctrine anyway, because I just followed a very strong urge and push to join the church. Um, but it was that strange, same urge and push that kept me in it and kept me moving forward. It was a strong certainty that this was the right direction for me and right place for me to be. And so one day, four months after I joined, my big bishop, who uh, it's weird to be a bishop now. Anyway, uh, he is a former um, lumberjack. Um, big man, uh, big old, big black mustache, big glasses. He had, had me come to his office and said, okay, Jared, time to start preparing for our mission. And I said, what? And he said, no, it's time to prepare for mission. I said, Bishop, I've, I've been a member for four months. I don't have the money. I don't have the preparation. He said, you're going to get prepared. How much can you pay for it? I'm like, oh my gosh, he's serious. And it was just this kind of implacable certainty that I was meant to serve a mission that was like, not necessarily convincing, but it was like, well, what do you do about that? What do you say to re refute that or, or anything like that? There was no refuting it. it. There was no arguing with it. No, I wasn't like pushed into it, but I felt like, oh, this is the expectation. And so I started to seek, you know, God's will and um, found that I felt very strongly about getting out to, to serve a mission and about working as hard as I could to, to pay for as much as I could as a point of pride. Um, now I, I wasn't able to pay for the whole thing. I paid for, I think it turned out to be about a quarter of it and the ward paid for the rest. So I, I'm eternally grateful to that. Um, anyway, I prepared, you know, I worked a couple of jobs, um, and, uh, still spent more money than I should because I was, you know, hanging out with girls and traveling and driving all over Utah and doing all kinds of fun adventures, um, and keeping myself relatively, you know, morally clean, um, and repenting when I needed to. So uh, the time rolled around and I put in my papers as it's called and it's still called that even though it's mostly electronic at this point You submit this application that goes through your mental health your physical health uh, And it it's the bishop also adds some things to it, you know saying I've prepared talked with this person They are spiritually prepared they're studious they're desirous to serve the Lord and I and I see them as worthy to represent uh, Jesus Christ and so my papers were submitted. It went through the bishop. It went through the stake president and it was submitted to the church. And just a few weeks later, I got a big white envelope, which is gone now too. Now those are just an email, um, but it's a very well put together email so that when you open it, you don't immediately see your call. There's a way to print it, bring it home and open it in the whole traditional thing that you see. You maybe have seen some videos of that uh, online. And uh, I, I got it in the mail and um, opened it in my, in my yard. Uh, there was no fanfare to it. My father, I think, was right there. I think he saw it and he was anxious to see what it was. And, I, th you know, he was engaged in my life and as much as a person could be in my life because I was I was very independent. And I just moved back to, to, to my, my father and stepmother's house, actually, for the last few months of my preparation because I needed to prepare uh, better and have more money. Uh, and paying rent was not helping that. So they were very kind to let me move back into the basement there. Anyway, I opened it and it said, Brazil, Brasilia. Uh, Elder Jared Nathan Garrett, you have been called, uh, found worthy to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and have been called to serve the Lord in the Brazil, Brasilia mission. Uh, I actually have it here in front of me, but I'm, I didn't just read it. Um, 
I will read a little part of it for you. I keep this in a, in a special little notebook for me, and I keep it uh, easy to hand at all times. So it says here, El Dear Elder Garrett, you are hereby called to serve as a missionary of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You are assigned to labor in the Brazil-Brazilian mission. It is anticipated that you will serve for a period of 24 months. And thereafter, it um, tells me, you know, I'll, I'll preach the gospel in Portuguese, which is the obviously the language of Brazil, when I would report to the missionary training center, which I did, um, and so on and so forth. So I reported to the missionary training center uh, just a couple of months later. I'd done everything I needed to do to get my passport going, to get the visa application put together. Uh, visas to get to Brazil were in a very simple season. It was very easy to get a visa there. I didn't have to do much of it, just send in the papers. And wound up in the Missionary Training Center. Um, I believe in May. Yeah, in May of, uh, of 94. And so the Missionary Training Center is a different experience, guys. And now it's very different today than it was back in my day. Uh, the curriculum is very different. The execution of the lessons, the layout of the day is very different. So I can't speak to how it is today. But when I went into the MTC, I was dropped off by some friends. So the way that worked was my friends, Byron and Spencer and Sean. Is there somebody else? I don't think there was. Was Dean there? I don't think so. Byron and Spencer and Sean, I believe it was. Uh, we all got in Byron's Caprice, this giant boat of a, of a car we took a road trip in which we got lost through the middle of Utah, through some kind of back roads, and finally wound up in Provo uh, that night after going through Castledale and other mining towns, and um, spent the night in, in one of Spencer's friend's apartments, guy who was attending BYU, I assume. And um, then I reported the next day. They went in with me. They sat down through an orientation with me in a big, large group meeting, and then they say, said goodbye, and I was that was that. And... Um, that was very sweet of them. I mean, that's that's how I got to the MTC was with my buds. But today, not, not today. Today, you say your goodbyes before and you drive through a, a parking garage, drop off your, your your child, son or son or daughter, say goodbye real quick, just two par a parent or two there to say goodbye real quick. And then they're hustled off to there to, to get oriented. It's a very different experience. You have to, you have to plan your goodbye better uh, these days. And had an extraordinary experience for two months in the MTC. So, such a special experience full of beautiful, spiritual, powerful, um, life-changing talks. Uh, a very deep, uh, earnest study of scripture, of uh, inspired writings, of uh, very much so the Book of Mormon. Um, and other books that changed my life completely. Man, I got, I got raring to go. Um, the gospel was real. I was gaining a powerful testimony of the most important truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of, of uh, repentance and um, how he's our savior uh, and of the restoration and so on and so on. And um, went to Brazil uh, in July of 94. And that's probably the next half of this episode. So we'll pick up with me landing in Brazil and um, we'll go from there. So I landed in Brazil um, on a very interesting day. It was the day that the Seleção Brasileira, which is Brazil's uh, football, or excuse me, soccer team, national soccer team, was landing also in, the, in Brazil. Now, Brasilia is the capital of Brazil. And so the national team was arriving in Brasilia, the capital, the very same day, later in that day that we got there. Um, no, it was the next day because we got there kind of late. That's right. I think we got there kind of late and wound up having to spend. No, 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 I'm wrong. We got there in the morning. That's right. We spent a whole night flying down. So it was the same day. Um, we were picked up at the airport and, uh, as we were driving to, uh, the, the mission office, 
uh, people were insane. Brazil was insane. This was the fourth time the Brazilian national soccer team, the men's team, had won the World Cup. And it was just Partyville. Uh, now, you may have seen pictures of Mardi Gras and Carnival. Multiply that times 10 uh, in every level and in every aspect with the amount of alcohol, other substances, lack of clothing, insane driving. I saw some of the craziest things I've ever seen. I saw some guy leaning out of this little Fiat hatchback car with a giant cerveza in his hand, cerveja down there, uh, somehow driving and careening around traffic of incredibly packed traffic screaming his head off like Vila, Vila, or something like that and not not crashing it was astonishing and very impressive um so that was my first taste of brazil and it was unnerving and terrifying and then my next taste of brazil was the next morning we had uh we were at a hotel for the one night before our we were assigned to our missionaries our, our companions and um we had the hotel breakfast and I went there to Brazil with the same people I was with in the MTC, almost entirely. We, we They called us a district, our group, and we were all going to the same mission. We had actually met the mission president who was going to be starting up as a mission president in our mission. Uh, we met him in the missionary training center. He got there just a month before we did. And so we were his first group. And he had told us that he was going to use us uh, and have us help him straighten out a mission that was apparently struggling, which we weren't aware of. Um, and um, yeah. So the next morning, I uh, had hotel breakfast. It was delicious and the fruit was amazing. And then I tried this juice that they said was sukuji kaju. Uh, suko means juice. Kaju is what it sounds like, cashew. But it's not from the nut, of course. It's from the fruit, which looks like a, a very uh, kind of fresh looking and sweet looking bell pepper. Uh, it doesn't taste much better than that, in my opinion. Many people who try it love it. I did not. It has an aftertaste that was like, no, not today, Satan. Uh, but everybody else loved it, but I loved everything else. So that was great. Then I was assigned to my first companion. He was Elder Diekman. Now, I'm not going to go through all my companions. I had about 12 or 13 of them. Uh, but he was uh, a month or two out from going home. And so he was going home soon, and that's when what you call trunky. Or when a person's going home soon, they become trunky sometimes. And trunky means they're sitting on their trunk waiting to go. Uh, he was definitely trunky. When the mission president introduced me to to Elder Diekman via a photograph, he said, hey, Elder Gahetch, which is how you say Garrett in Portuguese, you're going to serve with Elder Diekman. He's going to train you. Now, Elder Diekman is in his last couple of months of his mission. Uh, he seems to be struggling a little bit with, being, with doing the work. Uh, I expect you to help him finish his mission with honor um, and get him home uh, honorably and feeling good about the last couple of months of his mission. And I said, okay, <laughs> excited to do it, you know, a little bit nervous, but excited, you know, raring to go. And with that kind of preparation, we got to our hilarious shanty shack thing behind a member's house. Just, no, it wasn't even a member, was it? Just somebody's house. Somebody was renting out their, this hilarious apartment space, which wasn't really an apartment. <laughs> it was just a couple of concrete walls, a concrete floor. And um, I think aluminum roofing over the top of it. Uh, there was a sink um, which put out gross water. So you had to use uh, the, these really cool clay terracotta filters, which are rad. Uh, we suspended um, a broomstick from the rafters with uh, wire hangers so that we could hang up our clothes. Um, and it was a hard thing, you know. Um, we had to walk a while. I got there and really needed to use the bathroom by the time we got there. So I had a good time meeting that bathroom. And then um, 
you know, Elder Deakman told me that the, the area was kind of burned. Uh, he hadn't taught a discussion in in a couple of months. Now, which is which is weird, my friends. Really, really weird. Because it's Brazil. And in Brazil, you should be able to teach several lessons or discussions a week at minimum. Um, and him not having any in two months is crazy. But he said the, the area was burned. And so I sort of believed him. But I'm like, well, why don't we try anyway? Uh, and so he said, well, here's what you would try if you were going to get into an area. You know, and he, he, you know, he made a game effort of training me. He mocked me a little bit because I was pretty, you know, middle, you know, straight arrow. You know, I, he mocked the way I cut my toenails. He said that I cut them exactly according to regulations. And I thought, I don't even know there's a regulation around cutting your toenails. Shows how much I was paying attention. There actually is. You're not supposed to cut them. You're supposed to cut them straight so that uh, you don't get ingrown toenails walking as much as you did. So um, Elder Deakman and I had a good time. Two months of uh actual work and we had some very good success and then my next companion was elder benicio dos santos he's from bahia he's one of my dearest friends i love that man he was my secondary trainer and he trained me well we worked our butts off you say trabalhar até el po which means work until the dust and we did um we had some powerful spiritual experiences um and uh i'm going to tell you one of them here in a second uh, he his he, when i when he was assigned to me our district leader, Elder Hansen, um, told our president, President Hanks, President, I think that's a mistake. Elder Garrett's Portuguese is not very good yet because Elder Deakman didn't help him, help him learn. And President Hanks said, just trust. And that was the right choice. It was rough. It was rough going for a few weeks. Boy, my Portuguese had a lot of, had a long ways to go. But by the time, you know, within a month or two, I was doing great. By the time Elder Bay Santos was gone, my Portuguese was great. It wasn't like perfect, but it was pretty fluent. Um, Portuguese is a relatively easy language, honestly. But it turns out I have a gift for languages. Anyway, so Elder, uh, we called him Elder B. B. B is uh, Portuguese for the letter B. And we called him Elder B. Santos or Elder B. Santos because there was another Santos, uh, and Elder Santos in the, in the mission. And you, we like to distinguish people. So Elder B. Santos and I did a lot of work, taught a lot of people, worked. We did a lot of contacting, uh, knocked on doors. And in Brazil, it's not knocking, it's clapping, right? You clap at these fences. Uh, and hope that somebody can hear you. So I learned to clap real loud. I don't know if I still have that skill. Haven't tried it much. Um, and um, tried really hard and had, you know, some nice success, but it was kind of slow. And we wanted it to not be so slow, you know. Um, and so one morning after about a week or so of real tough times, kind of things drying up and discussions canceling, uh, Elder Bay Santos and I decided that we were going to fast for an entire day, or at least until we got our first, an, a new discussion or our next discussion and found a new family to teach a family. We determined it would be a family. And so we did. We started our day with a strong prayer. We did some companionship study just before we left. We knelt in prayer again and said, father, we're going to trust in you completely. We're going to walk out the store and follow every impression we have for direction. We don't even know where we're going to go, but we will do exactly what we're told. Uh, we did not know we were where we were going to go. We walked out. We both said a quiet prayer, looked at each other, and we both felt we should turn right. And so we did. We turned right, which was down a gentle slope towards a very deep, wide ravine um, that was that was in the middle of this Takwachinga area. Uh, and if we'd turned right at the bottom of that road, we would have actually been able to get to our chapel uh, where we went to church and baptized and stuff. But at the bottom of the road, we felt strongly we should turn left after a pause and a prayer. We turned left. And so on our right was this ravine down down a very deep ravine. It was really something else. And that actually that ravine actually caught on fire. Uh, and it took uh, some bombedos or firefighters some time to get it out. It was exciting to watch. But that was another day. Um, 
and we could proceed up this road. So this road was on one side completely a ravine, and on the other side, on our left side as we walked, uh, roads went up every 50 or so yards. We're going gently up this hill. And so we came to our first left turn, and we paused and said, is this the road? And we did not feel it was, so we kept going. And we did that again. Not that road. We did it again. Not that road. We did it again. That road. And as we felt like we should go up the road, we saw a statuesque woman uh, calling to her little boy. And I could have sworn she was calling him Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. He was driving one of those uh, big wheel uh, trikes, uh, zooming around on this road. Um, and he was having a great time. He was a little blonde kid, but she was a little darker skin. So it was kind of cool. That's, that's rad about Brazil, you know, very neat mixed genetics. We went up to her and Elder Bay Santos did the intro and she was open to what we had to say. She told us uh, we should come back when her husband was there. We went back and um, nobody was there. And we went back later in the day and um, no, she didn't say to come back when her husband was there. She said, just come back later when her daughter was back uh, and we could talk then. But we went back and she was gone. And we went back later that evening uh, as I think our last visit. And she said, okay, come in. We can talk for a little while. But my husband is an atheist and he's quite bravo, which means kind of surly in a way, right? Uh, he doesn't, he does not interested in this stuff. And so um, we taught her a little bit. And just as we were really about to start getting into the, the discussion, um, which we had to memorize, by the way, uh, today they just teach from the spirit based on some, you know, outlines that they have, I think. Um, a car drove up. And her eyes got wide. She said, oh, that's my husband. His name's Armando. I don't think he'll want you to be here. So you might want to get ready to go. But not, and we're like, yeah, but we're not going to run away. We'll happily stand up and show him the respect he deserves because this is his home. So we stood up and he walked in and he was like, what's happening here? And we're like, well, we're, you know, we, we, we'd come to teach you to, you and your family, uh, Senor Armando. Um, and he did not look happy about that. But he said we could stick around. And so we did. We stuck around and started the discussion. And he wound up wandering in partway through. And at the end of that discussion, because Elder Bay Santos was a bold, fearless man, he said, uh, uh, Armando, would you like to uh, would you like to say our closing prayer? And Armando was like, no, Irani nearly freaked out, by the way. She's like, this man doesn't believe in God. But Armando said, maybe another time which was a very polite thing to say, but she was like, oh my gosh, she thought, I think she thought he was going to turn us down straight up. He did not. Uh, so that was cool. And so we had a prayer and made it made an appointment to come back and we came back and we taught them for several weeks, maybe even a month or two. Uh, it was delightful, wonderful family, Irani and Armando, their daughter who was 11 named Alini and their little boy, Victor Hugo, who was never really there much. Uh, he was three or four or something like that. And, um, just, you, you know, we this was a beautiful family and Armando started to listen to the lessons and he started to pray and read the scriptures and he found some anti-Mormon stuff, which is fine, it happens, but, you know, dealt with it prayerfully and um, finally they decided to be baptized and we dealt with some issues right up before the baptism. We fasted like crazy, we prayed for them and we know they prayed and they were baptized. And Irani had seen another person get baptized, a lady named Hosea. Uh, who I'd baptized, or I'd have to baptize twice. Because um, I didn't get it right the first time. You're supposed to get them all the way under, and I didn't. And she said, Elder Gahetz, you're baptizing me, but if you if you don't get me, get it done right the first time, I'm not going to be very happy about this. And I'm like, we'll get it right, I promise. And so I like did push-ups and stuff to make sure I was strong enough to get it done right, and made sure we were very careful. And we got it right the first time, Irani. 
um, and Armando and Alini were baptized. It was a beautiful experience. And my friends, uh, about, let's see, in 2013 or so, um, I found them on Facebook. And they found me too. Um, and we had, me and Victor Hugo had a conversation via Facebook chat, video chat. He had returned from a mission. He'd served a mission faithfully. He was married uh, and he's got a kid now. Uh, Alini is married again um, after, I think, a not great first marriage. A couple of beautiful, beautiful kids. They're beautiful, Alini and Victor Hugo. And their spouses are wonderful, faithful people. And Armando and Alini are these glorious, angelic beings, my friends. Amazing people, firm in their faith, delighted by the Lord and by the gospel. And that that made the whole mission worth it. And I had many more experiences like that on the mission. Um, had experiences of um, one morning we were in a place called Cruzeiro Velho. Uh, well, we, that's where we live, but we served in Cruzeiro Velho in Novo, which is old and new. Um, and um, we uh, we were planning, we were having some struggles getting you know new investigators, new people interested. Boy, we'd knocked on so many apartment doors. There were a lot of apartment complexes there. And the ward was great. Oh my gosh, the ward was so amazing. Such beautiful people. Uh, and we didn't work with them as well as we should have. But um, one, one we decided we were going to do uh, this thing called an exposition of some kind, which is when you um, put set a, a display table with a bunch of images and pamphlets and you go to a public area where there's high traffic and uh, you try to hand people things out and get references and referrals and you try to you know, teach just on the fly. Uh, and we got permission from the city to do it on this one path leading to um, the Hodo Fejoviaria, which is a big train station and stuff. And um, the morning dawned, we were ready to go. We had a table. We had somebody who's going to drive a combi, which was those little mini buses for us. He was, a, he was the son of the bishop of that ward. And it was raining. And I'm like, come right on. And so I was a senior companion. I was also the district leader at the time. And man, I wasn't going to be stopped. And neither was my companion. He was great. His name was Elder uh, Bay Anderson, actually, B. Anderson, because we had another Anderson too. Uh, I trained him and we were ready to rock and roll. So we said, you know what? Uh-uh. Nope. And so we fasted. We decided we were fasting so that we could have good weather. So we decided to try to just do it anyway, even though it was raining. It wasn't raining too hard though. And so... The combi drove us over. We we got to our spot. We unloaded. We set up. And as we were starting to set up, the rain petered off and turned into just a very light, misty drizzle. And then as we finished setting up, it went away. And above us, the clouds sort of got a little softer and thinner. It was a heavy, heavy clouds before that. And it stayed that way for the several hours we were out there. And then we packed up. Had We had a great experience out there. Um... And it packed up and we went home. Uh, we also met out there a wonderful family, um, Marta and her sons, Moises and Francisco. I heard from um, Moises or Francisco, maybe both, uh, many years later as well. Uh, got a letter from one of them. They had both served missions, uh, which is exciting and thrilling. Uh, I also found out that Junior, a young man that we'd baptized in, in Taguachinga, had ended up being a bishop out there, which is amazing. Um, and um, had many other really, really rad experiences out there. I want to talk about Graziella, because uh, this is one of the kind of things that happens sometimes on the mission. My second area, I uh, was not a senior companion yet, which is fine, um, but my companion was struggled to be a senior. He, 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 he was well 
into his second year. Uh, and I think it was actually in his last quarter of his mission. And this was the first time he'd been senior cause he struggled, but he was a good dude, really good man. Um, and, um, so we worked together. We, we had some struggles. We, we, you know, we didn't see eye to eye a whole lot, but we, we were designed, we were, the, we wanted to be there. We wanted to serve the Lord. Uh, and eventually he wound up saying, you know what, let's go visit this young lady that me and the previous missionary had been teaching. We worry that she's not serious about the church. We worry that she's not serious about investigation, but, um, but let's go visit her and see if she's interested. And her name was Graziella. And we went and saw her and she and I hit it off really well. And she seemed to pay attention when I was teaching. My Portuguese was great by then. Uh, like great. I sounded like a native. Um, we had a great, some great experiences and the spirit was strong. I tell you what. Uh, and she started making real progress. She started making choices that would bring her closer to Heavenly Father, uh, that uh, made her want to be closer to Jesus Christ. And she wound up being baptized. Um, and unfortunately, right before she was ready to be baptized, we were doing a like a prep for baptism discussion. And she said, I'm afraid I have to admit to something. And we're like, uh-oh, here we go. And she said, uh, which means I'm in love with Elder Guy Hatch. Uh, and we're like, oh crap, <laughs> no. Um, and you know, we did our best to tell her, Hey, that's not appropriate. And we understand why that can happen. Sometimes we have these very special experiences and I'm kind of good looking. <laughs> At least I was back then. Um, and I had no beard though, but I was ooh, 78 pounds, 70 or more pounds, 80 pounds less than I am now. Wow. I was thin. And, um, anyway, that, that doesn't mean you're attractive or more attractive. Anyway, moving on. Sorry if I've offended anybody. I didn't mean to. Um, so uh, we told her that it was likely that, you know, I was going to be transferred because that's how it worked. Uh, we would tell the mission president right away um, and I'd be transferred because we don't take chances and we don't put missionaries in that position and we don't put members in that position either. We don't want to make things hard for people. And so um, we actually had disc, uh, interviews scheduled with our mission president uh, sometime that later that week, actually. And so uh, my my companion went in and had his interview and I went in and I'm like, well, president, I have to tell you something. And he said, are you going to tell me that there's a girl in your that you've been teaching who's in love with you? I'm like, oh, crap, here we go. So I was I was <clears throat> quite irritated that my companion had decided to tell the mission president as if he didn't trust me to tell him. But, you know, that's what companions should do. I was just being prideful. So I told him and I said, yeah, she feels this way and that way. And he's like, would you share the feelings? And I'm like, no. She's a great kid, but I have zero desire for anything like that. And I was true. It was true. Granted, I thought she was great. And if I met her after the mission, I certainly would have asked her out, but I was not interested in a mission. Mission, I was a straight arrow. So um, that was that. I was sure I'd be transferred. And he told me I'd probably be transferred. And then the transfers came around the next week and I was not. <laughs> so that was confusing. And we worried that that would confuse Graziella as well. Because we told her I'd be transferred. And the fact that I wasn't, we worried that that would make her think, oh, maybe this is meant to be. But we did our best to allay those concerns and absolutely dispel any notion like that. Uh, and then, but, but Elder Oliveda was actually transferred, not me. <laughs> so that's great. Um, so clearly, President Hanks both has a sense of humor and knew exactly what he was doing. My new companion was Elder Gaylord. Great, good, good man. Man, we had such a good time. Uh, and we baptized Graziella a few weeks later. Uh, and she bore her testimony sometime later and she's just a great lady. I had been trying to reach her, find her on Facebook. I cannot find her anywhere. It's not the most uncommon of names. So it's hard to find her on Facebook. Um, 
it's unfortunate because she was great and I'd love to reconnect and see how she's doing. Anyway, uh, so that's that experience. And then uh, I think I can tell one more experience about my mission and then come home, come, come, be done. Now, I got sick several times. Um, bronchitis, really bad one time in my first area. So bad for three or four mornings in a row, I think it was. I woke up with my eyes glued closed and my head stuck to my pillow. I'm sorry, it's gross, but that's how it was. Um, and the way we took showers was... In every area that I lived in, there was no hot water heater. What we did, what what there was is right next to the shower head on the water supply line was a water heater thingamajig there. And it was often exposed to the water, so you had to be really careful to not electrocute yourself. I never did. Um, uh, during my mission, I was a junior companion for just a couple time, couple companions, and I was a senior for the rest of my mission. And then I was a trainer for over a year of my mission. I was a trainer. I trained a bunch of missionaries and had a great time. Um, and... Uh, Learned, had so much good food. I love Brazil, Brazilian food. It's, it's one of my comfort foods now. Now I want to tell a quick experience and then I'm done. Um, so uh, <clears throat> let's see, in my last area, Cruzeiro, Novo and Cruzeiro Velho, uh, I, we were coming away from uh, interviews with my, the mission president, uh, President Hanks. My companion was a track star in high school, and so he was fast. We were running to catch a bus so we could get back in time to a discussion uh, after the interviews, and we were in downtown Cruzeiro, or no, we were in downtown Brasilia to get back out to our, our, our area, running to get a bus, and I glanced behind us and said, oh, Elder, there's a companion, the, the bus is coming, and so he took off, and I wasn't paying attention and put my foot into a hole where it's like a, a planter is, you know, for those fancy sidewalks. But I put it on the edge of the hole and popped my ankle so hard that I heard a pop. And I'm like, oh, I think I just broke something or really badly sprained something. And so I hobbled onto the bus just barely uh, and stood there because there were no seats for 30 minutes or so, 20, 30 minutes at least for the ride back. <clears throat> Finally got a seat and said some very fervent prayers. Um, that uh, it wouldn't be a serious injury. I had work to do and I didn't want to slow things down and I was loving my being a missionary. And um, <clears throat> by the time we got off the bus, I was limping but could walk. Uh, we I bought an ACE bandage, uh, wrapped it really tight that night. <clears throat> and if I hadn't, I probably would have swollen up really bad because uh, for the next two or three weeks, I had to wrap my, my, my ankle really, really tight with ace bandage. A missionary saw me doing that at his own conference just a week later, and he's like, what's happening? I'm like, I, I sprained my ankle. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. But I had to wrap that ace bandage really tight. And I made it through. Um, and it healed, or for a value of heal. I uh, got home from a mission in 96 and um, got married in 98. And in 2003... Um, I went, I, we'd finished school and we'd traveled to Japan and we'd had some great experiences and Anne-Marie said, you know what, Jared, we've talked about this before, but maybe you should just get an x-ray. Every time you've done some running or worked out outside for a while, your foot acts up. You need to find out what's going on. I'm like, well, okay. And I, I remembered that I had that experience in the mission. So I knew it was connected to that. And, um, eventually I finally did in 2003, got an x-ray found out that I'd had a large talus bone and I'd broken off the backbone. And I'd also really badly sprained my ankle and left a ton of scar tissue in there. Uh, and so I later, some years later, I had the talus bone removed and there was so much of scar tissue that they didn't clean out, which is unfortunate. And to this day, I have a chronic foot ankle issue on my right foot. Yeah, good times. Um, fun experience though. We actually, I got, I got the bone removed from my foot in 2004 in Taiwan. 
uh, right before I left Taiwan because, you know, hey, socialized medicine, it's helpful and cheap. Had it removed and one week later was on a plane back to Alaska because it was time to go. And um, I traveled alone as well. And then within a week of getting back to Alaska, I had landed a job miraculously at the Hotel Captain Cook as a bellman. And that's amazing because you don't get that job at, 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 in, in Alaska. You, you just can't. You have to kill somebody to get a job like that there. They're very high paying jobs. Very, very sought after jobs. But I got it. But I still had stitches in my foot from my, <laughs> from my bone removal. Um, and, uh, but I had the job. So I went to the job the, when I was starting with stitches still in my foot and had a rough time of it. I got through but got home and I was like, I can't move. This thing is on fire. It's a molten log of fire at the end uh, below my knee. I can't do anything. So I called in and said, hey, I sprained my ankle. I can't come in for a couple of days. They're like, okay, just uh, take care of yourself and get in when you can. So two days off my foot um, and went to a doctor and they're like, well, you screwed this up. <laughs> took the break, took the stretches out myself, of course, because that's how I do. And um, I do. It's just how I do. Um, and went back to work. And the way I got through that job for the next year and a half was I wrapped my foot in a, a, a steel lined ankle brace that I would tie really, really tight around my foot over my sock. Then I put my feet in big, tall combat boots and tied those really tight. So it was basically effectively fusing or splinting my ankle. And by doing that, I was able to get through. Um, but because of that mistreatment, I have chronic foot problems. Now, I have never blamed my mission. I have never blamed the Lord. This is a happy cost, a happy price to pay for what I experienced on my mission. I had, I became a different person. I was transformed utterly by those beautiful people, by serving them, by loving them, by teaching them. And to tell you how gung-ho I was coming out of the MTC, when we left the MTC, me and this group, we were on fire. We got on a plane in Atlanta to go to Brazil, Sao Paulo, and it was an overnight flight to Sao Paulo, and me and Elder Sorensen, we taught a discussion to a young family on, <laughs> on the airplane. And during that discussion, we talked about God and Jesus Christ, the restoration of the gospel, and baptism. And we committed them to baptism. <laughs> and we sent that referral with all that information to wherever they ended up living. That was freaking, That was how on fire we were. It was like nothing would stop us. So I just want to tell you that my mission to Brazil was a life changer for me. And um, it was hard. I got sick. I got hurt really bad. I got food poisoning a few times. Got worms all the time. That's fine. Um, had amazing food and made the dearest, sweetest, best friends. Um, my mission companions, I love them. My mission president is like another father to me. Um, and his wife, the, the matriarch of the mission, she's like a, another mother to me. Uh, the people of Brazil, I love them. I still speak Portuguese. Uh, and that started me down the path of learning new languages and then English teaching as a second language as well, which became, you know, led me directly to my career. So everything, everything, the fact that I went to the MTC to teach after my mission is what brought me to BYU, which is how I met Anne Rio, as you know. It's all because of my mission to Brazil. I'm thankful for it and will never, ever not be thankful for it. So hopefully uh, you've enjoyed these stories about my mission to Brazil. There's a lot more. Don't want to go into too much more of it or any more of it really at this point. You've heard a lot. It's almost 45 minutes of an episode. Uh, we've got a couple more epilogues coming up, but not right now. There's going to be an epilogue too called What's It Like or What It's Like to Visit Best Friends Now? Probably in a couple of months. And then epilogue three. One more. The final epi epilogue. And it's called The Cult 
stories and who I am today. And that is going to be recorded live in front of a live audience in Kanab, Utah with a Q&A attached and everything. So stick around, tell your friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, uh, if you have found this podcast through an article in the Religion News Service, welcome. Nice to meet you. Reach out to me if you have any questions. Guys, I love you. It's been a great podcast to do. Um, I've got a new one launching pretty soon called The Lance. It's not ready yet. Getting there. And I have books out and I'm still doing speaking appointments. And if you're an agent, please represent me to help my memoir sell. It's been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Stay thirsty. Stay friendly. And guys, right now, stay home. Stay home. But don't stop there. Like, get to know your family better. Get to know your loved ones better. Staying home is not the end of this particular coronavirus, you know, self-isolation story. Staying home and becoming a better person, improving ourselves, is how it's supposed to go. Let's not stop. Nothing can stop us. We just change our circumstances. Okay, see you on the flip side and see you in epilogue too.